My message today is entitled How to, be, How to Avoid Being a Leper. And my text is the book of Psalms, the 19th chapter, and reading from verses 13. This is the Psalm of David. And David says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. There are 10 commandments in the Bible. Out of the 10 commandments, the two commandments that we most often violate is commandment number three and number four. Commandment number four is the observance of the Sabbath. And this is the one commandment that we keep breaking again and again, and we violate it without thinking nothing of working on the Sabbath or doing our own pleasure. Now, I don't know how you observe the Sabbath, but allow me to share with you how I observe mine. 6 p.m., Saturday evening to 6 Sunday, 6 p.m. No laptop, which is the tool of my trade. No appointments, no counseling, and no seeking my pleasure. And I want to encourage you to observe the Sabbath because the Sabbath is reserved solely to worship God, spend time with your family, and to interact with friends. Keep the Sabbath holy, my friends, because your survival depends on it, especially as we enter into a season of great contradiction. You know, the book of Hebrews is a wonderful book because the book of Hebrews teaches us that there is a rest that remains that we must labor to enter into. And I want to suggest to you that step number one of this rest is by keeping the Sabbath rest faithfully. The second commandment that we often violate is the third commandment, and that is we take the name of the Lord in vain. I am guilty of it, and so are you. And this has to stop. And we do this in several ways. We watch movies where his name is used as a cuss word and is blasphemed over and over again and we think nothing of it. We sit like zombies, pay no attention while the name of your Savior is being dragged into the mud. I tell you this, I cannot take this any longer. I cannot bear it. I love him, I love his name, I cannot bear it when his name is being blasphemed. If you hallow the name of the Lord, then you must draw the line in the sand. But pastor, that means I cannot watch a lot of movies. I guess you are spot on. By and large, Hollywood hates Jesus Christ. And we must know where we stand, my friends. The second way we often violate the third commandment is something called presumption. And we often do this by saying, the Lord told me, God told me, when He never did. And when you do that, the Lord says that you will, He will not hold you guiltless to those who take His name in vain. And because, you know, we're so used to saying this in our charismatic culture. No one really pays attention to it anymore. Somebody says, God said, God told me, hardly anyone lifts an eyelid. I mean, come on! If God is the one speaking, shouldn't we be the ones listening? So this has become a cliche. And I'm asking you today to be very careful when you invoke the name of the Lord. When we use phrases like, God told me, when He did not, we fall into something called presumptuous sins. David called this a terrible sin, great sin. And presumption often leads to deception because we begin to believe a lie. You say something long enough, often enough, and you actually start believing in it. Now let me just talk about, about leprosy for a few moments to connect the dots. Leprosy was a terrible but a prevalent disease in the Old Testament. Several men and women of renown were struck with leprosy. And I've discovered there's a common thread with all our biblical examples. What is it? It's the sin of presumption. How often have we behaved, spoken in a presumptuous manner, 
that has gotten us in trouble. That is why David prayed, Lord, keep me back from presumptuous sins and let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. Watch this. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. The story of King Uzziah, king of Judah, is a classic study on presumption. If there was ever a man that God raised up, helped marvelously, it was Uzziah. His reign marked the height of Judah's power. He fought successfully against the other nations, exacted tribute to the Ammonites from the Ammonites and expanded westward in Philistine territory. We pick up the story in 2 Chronicles 26. When Uzziah became king, we're told that he did what was right in the sight of God. And he set his heart to seek the God of Israel. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. My friends, prospering in life is not a complicated thing. There's just one condition to attach. Will you seek the Lord? Everywhere Uzziah went, every battle he fought, everything that he put his hands to, God gave him good success and prospered him. But there is a strange disease that comes about with unbroken success, not just with success, but with unbroken success. And watch it when you, all you see is success in your life, after success and after success. Because at some point in your life, I tell you this, our life is valleys and hills and valleys and hills. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and verse 16, it says, when he was strong, oh my friends, you know, Derek Prince used to say, when you are strong, you're usually wrong. His heart was lifted up in pride to his destruction for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What made him do such a stupid thing? What made him do such a presumptuous thing? Your guess is as good as mine. I think somewhere down the road, he stopped fearing God. I think somewhere down the road, he stopped seeking the God of Israel. 52 years of good reputation wiped out by one impetuous act and he ends up in a leprous colony. Come on, what a terrible way to end your life. Haven't we seen people in our lifetime being cut off, isolated from the house of God? Verse 21, King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. He was cut off. He was cut off from the house of God. I tell you this, there's nothing worse in life than being cut off from God's people separated from the household of faith. It's interesting that the leprosy struck Uzziah on his forehead. Man, something happened to that guy in his mind and he could no longer think straight. There's a grave danger when we assume that because of our success, that God will not hold us accountable for what we do. You know, Cornerstone is in a season of success and growth and things are hunky-dory and God's blessing us. He's made us the head and not the tail. He's made us above and not beneath. And all of a sudden, we have all these people wanting to gain favor. Many times I get calls on the phone and I put down the phone and I said to my wife, you wouldn't guess who just called me, man. And she couldn't be bothered. I think God gives us wives to keep us humble. Amen. And I'm saying, did you know who called? My goodness, all these people are wanting... She is completely not interested. And I'll tell you this, sometimes we need to listen to our wives. Amen. All the time. You gotcha, you wait, huh? Wait till you get married, then you know, huh? 
Beware of losing the fear of the Lord. Beware of pride. It's a gateway sin that opens us to a lot of problems, my friends. This, this is the great deception of pride. It makes you think you are limitless. I don't know how many people have said to me, I can do all things in Christ. And, uh, and you are deceived into thinking that you can cover the ministry that is not yours. And I tell you this, when Paul said, I can do all things in Christ, he was not alluding to the fact that he was a superman. He was alluding to the fact that whatever God called him to do, he could do by the grace of God. So a sad ending for a man who was so endowed with so much grace, King Uzziah. Look at Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. You know, the reference point to this vision was the death of a king. And what is the one significant thing about Uzziah? Pride! Pride! And once pride is dead, we see the true Lord sitting and reigning on His throne. Amen. Never allow anyone to put you on a pedestal. Please, my friends, I'm telling you this. At the end of the service, don't come and say, Pastor, you are the best. Don't put me on a pedestal. Don't put me on... It, it does strange things to us. Amen. And, that, and pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for my leaders that we will always be small in our own eyes. Amen. I've said this and I'll say this again. If you knew everything about me, you wouldn't want me to be your pastor. If I knew everything about you, I wouldn't want to pastor you. Hallelujah. <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm just a sluggish piece of aging humanity, an ardent vessel with glaring shortcomings and weaknesses. You know, the same thing happened with Miriam. Miriam was the elder sister of Moses. Moses had a relationship with God that was transcendent. You have a balancing scale on one hand, on the right hand. You put the nation of Israel on one side of the scale. You put Moses on the other side. Moses would weigh heavier than the entire nation. That's how God saw him. One time he said to Moses, he says, I'll wipe out the entire nation. I'll start all over with you. As far as God was concerned, Moses was his best friend. And no one talks to Moses in a derogatory way. So these two siblings, we find the story in Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron were not happy with Moses because he married a black woman. I don't know whether they were racist or I don't know whether there was another reason behind this. I won't speculate, but I'll tell you, anger began to fester in their hearts and finally it exploded in an outburst against Moses and they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has He not spoken to us also? Boy, I tell you, the Lord took that very personally. Comes down in the cloud, rebukes Miriam, rebukes Aaron. When the cloud lifts, Miriam is white as snow. She's struck with leprosy. What was her sin? Presumption. She thought she was a mouthpiece with God on behalf, on the same level, on power with Moses. And this lesson was important for God to repeat it to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, which is the second law Chapter 24, remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. God says, don't you ever forget what I did to that woman. Deuteronomy 18 verse 20 says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Woo! I tell you this, my friends, presuming to speak in the name of the Lord is the same as speaking in the name of another God. And I want to strongly suggest to you that you stop using the phrase, God told me. Be very careful how you invoke His name. I'm not saying that God cannot speak to you or will not speak to you. I'm just very careful about how sometimes people use His name all the time. Our presumption makes us think, 
of ourselves more highly than we ought to. I think one of the most serious sins in the Bible that we don't often address is when a man presumes he is called to be in an office which he isn't. You know, the office of a priest is a hallowed office. To a certain extent in the New Testament, we can all function as priests in the sense that we can all offer a prayer, thanksgiving, worship, and praise to God. But in the Old Testament, the office of a priest was only promised to Aaron and his sons, and only they had the right to carry the censer and offer incense and minister to God in the holy place. And Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 4 says, And no one takes this honour to himself, but he who is called of God just as Aaron was. And every time in the Bible, a man tries to usurp this and tries to take this honour for himself, the punishment is, is swift, it's severe. It happened to Uzziah when he tried to perform the functions of a priest. It happened to Saul when he tried to put a linen ephod. It happened to Miriam when she tried to be the spokesman for Israel. It happened to Korah, Dayton, Abiram, and the 250 clan leaders of Israel, men of renown, who spoke up against Moses and Aaron because they were not permitted. They were not permitted to participate in the priestly ministry and they were angry because they were the firstborn sons of Israel and they rose up in rebellion and God says, now I'm going to show you who my choice is and opens the ground and swallows those people into hell directly. That's what God thinks about people who usurp His authority. The biggest mistake in leadership is when God makes known His choice, you know, the rest will say, why, why aren't I chosen? This uh, last six months has been very intense, uh, 3778 debates, and we've been, and me and my, some of my colleagues here have been involved uh, with ministerial meetings and meeting with the different cabinet ministers. But I tell you this, I have watched several very strong voices raised up in the last six months who have become uh, a voice for the church. And when I see those voices raised up, my job is to pray for them and stand with them. Amen? And it doesn't have to be me. If God, God has the right to choose His mouthpiece. Amen? Sometimes He uses me. Sometimes He uses other people. It doesn't matter who He uses as long as God gets the credit and the glory. My friends, we've got to be very careful not to take an honour that does not belong to us. Now, pride can come in different forms, but presumptuousness, I think, is the most subtle. Allow me just to take a few moments to talk about how pride often stands in the way of our being blessed. One of the most subtle forms of pride in the Bible is, number one, we don't think we need His counsel any longer. We start to make decisions independent of Him. He's no longer the source of our counsel or wisdom. We don't ask Him what He thinks before we make crucial decisions, we start to think we have the ability to direct our own steps. And that is the essence of pride. We don't need Him any longer. This was the sin of Adam and Eve. They wanted to be like God and they wanted to make their own decisions, chart their own destinies, independent of God. I tell you, here is a good rule of life. Give God the first hour of the day. Give God the first day of the week. Give God the first tithe of the month. And give God the first consideration in every decision you make. And you will do well. Trust me. The whole episode with the Sultan Plaza property, you know, one year ago, taught me this one thing. You never make a critical decision until you've heard from God clearly. I made the mistake. I paid a price for it. 
I've taken full responsibility for it, but I tell you, I've never grown so much from a bad mistake. Come on. If you're willing, God can turn the situation around because He works all things for good for them that love Him. Amen. You can't unscramble eggs, but you can make a pretty nice souffle out of it. Amen. I'm determined to make myself accountable to my pastors that are here. I've, I want them to challenge my presuppositions. I want them to say to me, Pastor, did you hear from God? Do you have the peace of God? Did you get a specific word of Scripture? It's not a matter of check and balances. Like we have to make sure we reign the pastor in, you know, not that. What this is all about is submission. Because if I can submit to my pastors, then I can submit to God. Here's another form of pride. We no longer depend on Him as a source of our strength. My friends, if you want to study the subject of faith, who do you look at in the Bible? You look at Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. God took him from one level of faith to another level to another till God perfected faith in that man. Hallelujah. If you want to study this, the, the, the virtue of meekness, if you've been asking God, Lord, I want to be a meek person, who do you study? You study Moses. Moses is re recorded in the Bible as the meekest man who ever lived. And who wrote that? Moses, hallelujah. But that meekness was only produced through so much opposition and rebellion. I tell you this, don't you? You want to be very careful when you say, God, I want to be a meek person. And all of a sudden, you're going to be surrounded by people that hate you and oppose you all the way. Because that's how meekness is formed. It's when so many people oppose you, but you won't lift one hand, one finger, and one word against them. If you want to study wisdom, look no further than Solomon. Solomon is the gold standard. Uh, he was given a wisdom the world had never seen before or since, and even our Lord Jesus alluded to the wisdom of Solomon. But if you want to study long-suffering, you look no further than Paul, the apostle, who in his own words said he became a pattern, a model for long-suffering. And ladies and gentlemen, your wife is not your long-suffering. But when you want to study the subject of humility, if you're crying out to God, Lord, keep me small in my own eyes, then the role model is King David. Because apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, nobody went through humiliation like David did. Our Lord Jesus was stripped naked without a shred of clothing on Him. And they hung Him on the cross for the world to see. And there were women and children in that crowd looking and mocking at Jesus Christ, where He bore the sins of the whole world. He that had no sin became sin for us. You talk about humiliation and the humility it required. And David went through great hu humiliation as well. But here's a wonderful scripture that I want to allude to. 1 Chronicles 18 and verse 4 gives you a glimpse of David's humiliation. It says, David took from the Syrians 1,000 chariots, 7,000 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, except that he spared enough for 100 chariots. Now David had just defeated the mighty Syrian army, captured a huge chunk of their military hardware. And the next thing David does, he hamstrings all those horses. Puzzling verse. But it had to do with the issue of dependency because this is a big deal with God. Who do you put your trust in? The psalmist declares, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of our God. Amen. In the days of old, 
chariots and war horses were the awesome war machines. And having, having these things meant superiority over your enemies. Ten chariots charging at full speed could rout several platoons of soldiers. A hundred chariots thundering across the plain. Woo! That's a scary thing. When I was in the national service, I was in the armored infantry. Sometimes we would go take these tanks and armored vehicles from the east to the west for training. At two o'clock in the morning, we'll rumble down the road. When you have 50 tanks on the road, the sound it makes is, is very scary. The, the, the loud noise, noise of it. Sometimes sitting on top of these tanks and these armored personnel carriers, you feel a sense of superiority. <laughs> Can you think about this? 1,000 chariots he took from the Syrians. That man that he is now the geopolitical superpower. On top of that, 7,000 horsemen into your army reserves, 20,000 foot soldiers. My goodness, what an army he had. But David did the unthinkable. You know what he did? He hamstrung all the chariot horses and this was due to, done to prevent them from ever being used in warfare again. Why would David do such a thing? I mean, no ancient king would, would do that. That's like taking off the tracks to your tanks, man. So why did David hamstring all these horses and destroy the chariots? It was to remind Israel that their strength and dependency wasn't on the might of the Israeli defense force. It was in the strength of the Almighty God. Come on. And David was following a biblical precedence, by the way. He looked back in the days of Joshua. And Joshua, in, in chapter 11, Israel was about to fight a huge battle with a massive army that was made up of many nations. The Lord said to Joshua, He said, I'm going to give you victory over this massive army. But when you do that, when, you, when I give you the victory, you hamstring the horses, you burn all the chariots. And Joshua 11 verse 9, And Joshua did to them as the Lord told him, and he hamstrung those horses and burned those chariots of fire. My goodness, this is the first original chariots of fire. Hallelujah. And both Joshua and David showed us the way of faith that true victory comes only when we totally depend on Him to fight our battles. Every morning I partake of communion. I do this every day. I did this this morning. I did this yesterday. I did this the whole week. And I did this for the whole year. I do this to acknowledge that He's my source of my strength and the source of my health. And it's amazing that since I began doing this, I have been in good health. I've discovered that disease prevention is better than disease management. I don't mean, I doesn't mean I don't fall sick. It doesn't mean I will not be afflicted with some infirmity somewhere down in the future. All I know is when I started doing communion, I have been in good health. It's not a magical formula. It is not superstition. It is not a matter of dependence. It's, it's a matter of you trusting the Lord and depending on Him. This morning, yesterday morning, I had a, email from somebody who said, Pastor, I come from a different denomination and in our denomination, it must be a priest who consecrate the elements of the bread and the wine. So I was thinking about, I, she said, how can we do this on a personal basis? We're not priests. But to a certain extent, we are. That's why we pray over the food. Why do you pray over the food? On, when you, before you partake, you are consecrating the food. You are blessing the food. Amen. It's the same thing when you have the element of the bread in the cup, when you pray over it. And while I was contemplating on it, on answering this, a lady wrote to me and said, this is my testimony, Pastor. She said, I was, in, I was in sin, I was in darkness, I was struggling in my Christian faith. And then I heard about communion 
And I started taking communion every day. Today I'm filled with joy, I'm filled with light, and I feel clean before God every day. Hallelujah. And that was my answer. Some of you might frown at this and say, Pastor, that's a pretty religious thing to do. But wait till you get to my age. Trust me, you will be thanking me for it. Hallelujah. Charles Spurgeon once said, God does not need more of your strength. He's got plenty of it. He asks for your weaknesses because he's got none of them. <laughs> Woo, love that. Number three, we develop an insatiable need for recognition. You know, when Paul started his ministry, he boasted that he was not inferior to the greatest of the apostles. In other words, I deserve recognition. I'm more productive than any of the apostles. I work harder. I pray harder. I serve harder. I, I serve longer. And I suffer more. But as he matured, he changed his tune. And he said he was the least of the apostles. Then later on, he said, I was one born out of due time. Then later on, finally in his life, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. How many of you know that you're making progress when you move from thinking of yourself as the chief of apostles to the chief of sinners? I guess the closer you draw to the Lord, the uglier you see yourself sometimes. I want to encourage you, my friends. Don't lose the joy of serving Jesus. One of the prayers that I pray every morning, Lord, let me not lose the joy of your salvation. We have to be careful that in our daily routine, that we are not metastasizing dullness of heart. A.W. Tozer once said, there's nothing more deadening to the soul than the continual handling of holy things. When you do it on a daily basis, every day, day in, day out, day in, it can become a ritual. It can become a habit. Don't ever lose the wonder of Jesus Christ. Don't ever treat holy things as though they were common things. Don't ever make fun of things that are sacred, like communion, circumcision. I used to tell jokes on circumcision. I thought they were funny, but God did not see any sense of humor in that and rebuked me. I remember one time I was with Brother Bailey. We were in Brunei. It was a baptism service. His schedule was packed. And I was just concerned. I said, Brother Bailey, you've got to pack. You've been preaching in the morning, afternoon, and maybe you want to skip the baptism service because it's, uh, it's not so important. We can just come back and rest for the night meeting. He turned and he rebuked me. I never forgot that. He said, tell you, don't you ever forget that baptism is an ordinance from God and I will go to the baptism service. I tell you, I never forgot. The fear of God came upon me. I never forgot that. We treat baptism with great honour in this church. Amen. We treat communion with great honour in this church. We treat the holy things with great honour. I tell you, we must draw the line on our joking as well. Amen. Our need for recognition, for validation, our tendency to want to be, to franchise the gospel, to profit from the cross, must be crucified. Amen. I said to the faith works, we will never sell a single message in Cornerstone. It will never be, anyone can have it free of charge. How in the world can we ever scheme to capitalize on the blood? Evan Roberts, the man whom God used to precipitate the great Welsh revival, walked into church one day, saw the cross, and he said, my heart was unmoved. And he said, the thing that I feared most came upon me. Oh my goodness, my friends, we've got to have the fear of God. 
We've got to have the sense of the fear of the presence of God. I don't want one day to go by without me being unmoved by His sacrifice and by His love. And what better way to remind me than the communion service? And some of you might say, Pastor, I come from a traditional church. Well, then go and buy the common book of prayer. I use it in the morning sometimes. We do not, you know, the whole, whole, all the prayers in the common book. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no, no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify your holy name. We do, not come, we do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold great mercy, so that we're not worthy of so much to gather up the crumbs under your table. But your nature is always to have mercy. Grant us therefore, merciful God, that we may eat the flesh of your dear son, Jesus Christ, and drink his blood, that, we may his, that his body may cleanse our bodies, and that we may be washed, our souls may be washed by the precious blood of Jesus, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. That's all in the Anglican communion prayer. If you have used to that, use it. I memorize these things. At my age, I keep on memorizing scripture as much as I can, every day as I can. Memorize, 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 because that's, that's the way I counteract the loss of memory. I'm, I'm not saying I lose memory, but I'm, I'm just saying I forget names very easily. Here's another form of pride, and I'll close with this. Showboating. Over the last past weeks, I've been aware of my own Danger of falling into pride. It came subtly in the form of something called bragging. I found myself callously bragging. I found myself callously being boastful, dropping names. And then I heard a preacher preach last week. And God convicted my heart so badly. He talked about Joseph. And the question he asked was, why did God give Joseph two dreams of his family bowing down to him? Now those dreams came to pass. But it wasn't about Joseph's destiny. The destiny of Joseph was to be a savior to his people, save them and the Gentiles from a horrific famine that was going to come and plague the whole earth. But when you're speaking to a 17-year-old, this isn't something that gets him excited. What gets him excited is his father and mother and his brothers kneeling down to him. So God gives him two dreams. Why? It was a test. God knew there was pride in Joseph's heart. He knew that he was going to brag about this. And he knew that he was going to brag and his bragging was going to be the reason he was going to be cast into a pit which was going to be next week's lesson. So our bragging has gotten some of us into pits. It's definitely got me into some hot soup more than once. The Lord knows exactly what he was doing when to work in Joseph's life and he knows what he's doing when he works in our lives. The dream was to get Joseph started on the character test. My friends, I realized that uh, my bragging, I, I was just bragging, you know, and my wife, uh, it, I, like again, we need to listen to our wives because she's completely unimpressed about the friends that I have. And I had to repent of this terrible thing and I want the whole church to hold me accountable as well. I think this is an important part of my journey with God. The older you get, the, the more you realize how weak and how frail you are. I close with this story. The most amazing man in the New Testament 
was Paul by far the most productive and the most uh, fruitful individual in the last 2,000 years of our church history. Paul was pushing the boundaries of the kingdom like nobody else, had experiences like no one else. He was caught up in the third heavens and he saw things that he says, I couldn't even take notes. He was, he was at the peak of his life and then God sends a messenger, allows a messenger of Satan to come to buffet him. Three times he prayed with charismatic fervency for God to remove this thorn in the flesh, this demonic entity that was causing this physical affliction. And three times the Lord says, Paul, it's okay. My grace is, gonna, is sufficient for you. I'm going to pull you through this. And then Paul is brought into prison all of a sudden. I want you to close. I want you to understand this analogy. Say you're the manager of a football club. Your club is winning game after game after game like Leeds United. Hallelujah. And you're on a, on a winning spree. You've got momentum because you've got one star player who's so amazing. He passes the right places. He's just amazing. And because of him, the team is winning game after game and again. And then all of a sudden, the manager takes him and benches him. And then the team starts losing its momentum and they start losing their games. And everybody's thinking, what is manager thinking about? What is the manager doing? We need this guy in the game. He's the one that's getting us winning the, to, be, to be the winning team. But now that he's on the bench, we are starting to lose all our games. And this is exactly what happened here in the book of, uh, in the book of Acts, in the book of Corinthians. Paul is the star player. He's pushing the boundaries of the kingdom. And all of a sudden, he's benched. He's put into prison. And everybody's thinking, Lord, we need Paul, man. He's the guy. He's our general. He's the guy that's pushing the boundaries. And all of a sudden, He's in prison. But without Paul in prison, we would not have Philippians. We would not have Ephesians. We would not have the epistle, epistle the, the prison epistles that he wrote. And today, millions of people are still being impacted by this man who was sent into prison at the peak of his life. Am I glad that Paul was sent into prison? You better believe it. Amen. You better believe it. And sometimes God does these things. He pulls you away from the limelight, he says, I want you to be hidden because I have a work for you to do. I want you to stand in the presence of God right now. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me. I, I'm not going to give an altar call, but I'm going to ask you today to seriously make a decision in your heart and say, God, I want to be very careful not to use and invoke the name of the Lord in vain. I want to be very careful. Help me change the language. Help me change my language. I tell you, too many people in Cornerstone, when they talk to me, Pastor Young, God told me, God told me, God told me. Got to be careful of that, my friends. You got to be careful. I'm not saying God cannot speak to you. I'm just saying very careful how you invoke the name of the Lord. Father, I just pray today, set a guard over our tongue. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in our sight, in your sight, O oh God. David prayed in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The commandments of the Lord, the, the, um, the judgments of the Lord are right and true. More to be, listen to this, more to be desired are they than gold. Yeah, more than fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. For by them, these commandments, thy servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? 
cleanse me from secret faults. Keep me also from presumptuous sins. And let them not have dominion over me. Let this be the prayer that we pray. Let this be the prayer that we come before God on a daily basis. Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins, Lord. Then I will be blameless. Oh, Then I will be innocent of great transgressions. Oh, my friends, this I believe God wants to speak to our hearts this morning from this word. I pray, Father, that you will keep us small in our own eyes. Especially, I pray this for myself. Keep me small, Lord. Let me not be impressed with titles, with position, with names. Let me be impressed by Jesus Christ alone. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you that you're bringing us to a place where we are beginning to realize it doesn't matter who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. And I pray in Jesus' name that we will be strong, Lord. And I pray that the church here in Cornerstone will always be a prophetic voice, that we will be a tip of the sphere. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.